Thanks for joining us this week for the Church at Starkey Hills podcast. Be sure to visit our website at starkey.church to find all the latest information and upcoming events. All right. Hey, good to see you all this morning. You look beautiful today. Thank you for being here. Thank you for letting me take a week off last week. We had an amazing time, and I appreciate Clark uh, for doing so well. Show Clark some love for covering for me while I'm gone. Excellent job. I'll be honest with you. We were traveling. We're church people, man. I love me some church. It's the bride of Jesus. I'm part of it. I love it here. I love it there. I love it everywhere. There's some Dr. Seuss for you. And we were in Alabama, and we were looking for a church as we traveled through Birmingham, and we were just trying to find one, and it's really hard that, 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 that meets us where we are and and uh, because we have a great church experience every week and then also to find one that times out right as you're traveling and so we found one but while we were looking for one it just reminded me of what, how sweet our church is I love our church I love you guys I love our, our teams that serve here it's just a, an honor to be a part of such a beautiful local church and so thank you and uh, and so now I'm back and so we're going to finish up the book of James, this little five-chapter epistle letter from the half-brother of Jesus to the Christian community. And it's amazing, but it's unique because, you know, James has been giving us quizzes for five chapters. We're going to talk about those today. But then he closes, and he doesn't give us any soft, uh, you know, uh, oratory, poetic words of closure he challenges us again, and that's where we're going to land today as we finish the book of James. So open your Bibles to the book of James, chapter 5, and we're going to finish this thing up on the back of your life guide. Uh, there's no outline, but there's a place for you to take notes, and then there's a, also a list that we'll cover in just a few minutes. But the title of the message is this, Authenticity. Authenticity. It's what the world needs. It's what the church uh, should be, and it's what God commands but we live in a world that's so often artificial. We talk a good game, but it's just not real. And artificial never accomplishes all that God wants to do in authenticity. And so we're going to look at today, because that's what we're challenged about today, is being real. Being real at the core of who we are. The whole book of James is about faith that works. It means an authentic faith on the inside should show up as authentic actions on the outside. If you're born again, you're filled and sealed with the Holy Spirit, you're adopted into God's forever family through Jesus, how you live on the outside should be a, a reflection or a demonstration of who you are on the inside in Jesus. And it's not just on Sunday, it's every day of our life. And so let's look at James chapter 5, verses 19 and 20. That's what we're going to cover today. You say, oh, it's going to be a short message, two verses. <laughs> if you've been here long, you know that ain't true. All right, James 5, 19 says, My brothers and sisters, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, he should know that the one who turns a sinner back from his wandering path will save the person's soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. So this is how James lands the plane in his five-chapter book, these two verses. Seriously? I mean, why not like Paul, you know, I love you, I'm praying for you, brother. No, 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 no. He calls us out again. And that's what we're going to look at today. And so he, he launches into his challenge in verse 19 and 20, just like he launches into the book, by identifying the who it is he's writing to. And he says, I'm writing now, I'm closing this letter, and I'm speaking to brothers and sisters. The, the Greek word there is adelphos. It, it's, it's the true bride of Christ. It is the church. You see, often we identify the church with an address or with real estate or with a title, but the church is not that. That just is where the church hangs out together corporately. The church is comprised of individuals like you, like me, who are born again. We are individuals who have been redeemed, saved by the sacrificial death, the resurrection of Jesus on the third day. We're in the family. He says, I'm talking now to those who are my brothers and sisters in Christ. 
It's why the Christian community should be such an attraction to the whole world because we are brothers and sisters. We are a family. We are to be the family that some people never had. We're to be the family that's better than anybody's ever had. That's who we're supposed to be. We're brothers and sisters united in Christ Jesus. And so that's who he's speaking to. He, he's calling us out, and he wants us to, uh, to ask ourselves a question here. Is he writing to me? So here's the question. If, if, if James is writing to truly born-again people, heaven-bound people, look at your neighbor and say, is he talking to you? <laughs> Just ask him. Go ahead and ask him. And now ask him, tell him the preacher said, tell him the preacher said he hopes he's talking to you. Okay, that's the preacher. That way it's not on you, you old judgmental person. Okay? I, I hope he's talking to every single person in here. I hope every person in here, no matter what age, no matter what gender, no matter who you are, where you come from, your past, I hope James is saying, listen, you all are all brothers and sisters forever in Christ. But I don't believe that's the case. And James doesn't necessarily believe that's the case. And so James is going to do some work today and challenge us to do some work to help people be sure that they are authentic, that they're truly children of God. Now, he says, brothers and sisters, if anyone among you wonders from the truth. Now, if you read, you can read literally a hundred commentaries on the book of James because it's a cool little book. It's short. It's very to the point. So everybody writes commentary on it. So you could, write, you could read literally a hundred of them. And a lot of those guys would say, okay, he's talking about now if you're wondering from the truth. These are people that are in the truth and now they're wondering. So we would call that backsliding. These are brothers and sisters who are messing up. They're just slipping from the truth. I don't believe that's who he's talking to, although he could be talking to backsliders. I believe he's talking to lost people in your world. He said, if anyone among you wonders from the truth, he doesn't give a name, he doesn't give a personality, he doesn't give a flavor, he says anyone. And literally, it means what it says in the Greek, anyone. It could be you, it could be me. And this person with no name who is among us, it could literally be, he says, brothers and sisters, he's writing to the church. It could be among us in the church. It could be on this Sunday morning among us, there are people who have moved and wandered from the truth. They're not born again. They're not saved. Okay? Truly. They, they're artificial. They, 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 they act a little Christian-y. They speak Christianese. They smell like a Christian. They go eat a big lunch after church with Christians. You know, they're hanging out with Christians, sitting on a row of Christians. But at the core of who they are, they're not authentic. It's just not real on the inside. It's superficial, artificial uh, on the outside. And, and, and so it could be among us in church. But it could be among us anywhere we go. Brothers and sisters, no matter where you find yourself, if there's someone, anyone among you who wonders... It could be among you in your home, in your family, in your extended family. It could be among you in your neighborhood. It could be among you at your workplace, among you in your school, on your team. Wherever you find yourself, you are among somebody. And he's saying, brothers and sisters, true believers, if anybody in your business, anybody in your circle, anyone among you wonders from the truth. Now, that, that word wonder is an interesting word. The word in the Greek is planeo. Planeo, we get our word planets from. We are a planet, third rock from the sun, but it doesn't matter which planet, that's what we're talking about. You could talk you could about uh, Jupiter, Venus, Mars, Earth, whichever planet, they're always moving. They're never stationary. They're orbiting the sun, and then they have their own orbit. And, and gravitational pull of the sun keeps them consistent, but they're always moving. They never stop, right? They're always moving. James is saying, among you, there are those who are moving and moving and moving. But the difference between planets and lives, these planets are fixed. They have a certain rotation. And they're fixed to the sun. And he compares people like that because there are people who say they're fixed and connected to Jesus, the Son, but when they move, they don't orbit Jesus. They're not tethered to Jesus. They're not pulled to Jesus by some gravitational or spiritual pull. They're moving, but they're moving from the truth. They're moving away from Jesus, okay? And it's the, 
It's the description, it's the nature, it's the character of their life. It's not an occasional setback. We all have those. We all backslide sometimes. We all make mistakes. We all fall to temptation. He's not talking about that. He's talking about the general tendency or bent of that anyone among you is to move further and further away from the truth of the gospel of Jesus. You know, Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. People among you who continue to move away from the truth, they, they've been exposed maybe to the truth. Maybe they've been in church their whole life. Maybe they've attended church. Maybe they've never attended church, but they've heard the truth of the gospel. They've heard people talk about Jesus. They've, they've seen a broadcast on television. They've listened to a Christian song, but they've been exposed to it, but they've never anchored to it. They drift, they wonder, they're deceived, and they move further and further away. So I believe that James is predominantly talking about lost people, not just backslidden people. And he says this now. He says, now if anyone, he says brothers and sisters, that's, that's that. He says, if anyone among you is drifting or moving away, he says, and someone turns him back. We are now introduced to a third party. Someone turns him back. Now, he's saying if anyone reaches out to help that person move to the truth rather than moving from the truth, there's value in that. So here's the three groups of people. There's brothers and sisters, true Christians, okay? There's anyone that, 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 that's drifting, anyone among you that's not anchored to the truth. And then there's someone of the brothers and sisters camp who becomes a someone interested in the anyone. Did that lose you or you got that? If you got that, say, I got it. All right. Anybody among the brothers and sisters who become a someone interested enough in an anyone to reach out and help them. There it is. There, there it is. If you're born again today, that's why you're born again. You're not born again because God looked at you and said, boy, I knocked it out of the park with that creation. I need them with me. I'm going to do everything possible. I'm going to save them. I, I got to ha have that with me. And some of us feel like, boy, I can't wait to get to heaven. He's going to be so excited when I get there. Oh, he'll be excited, but not because of the reasons you think. Okay? Now, all of us, are, we're, we're called, commissioned, challenged to be on a rescue mission. If you're a brother and sister in Christ, we're all to be that someone who cares enough about anyone to turn them away, to turn them back toward the truth. The, the word for turning them back is epistrepho. It means to convert, to turn them around, to turn them toward, to bring them back, to change their direction. Now, what's the value in that? What's the value in that? He says, brothers and sisters, if anyone among you, okay, uh, wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, verse 20, he should know. Someone should know that the one who turns a sinner back from his wandering path, this is the goal, okay? If someone does this, if someone is a brother or sister in Christ, born again, saved, filled and sealed with the Holy Spirit, adopted into God's forever family. They become a someone and they turn somebody back. Now, who's it say he's going to turn back? Turns a sinner back. This is why I believe, and I'm not alone, I believe he's not predominantly talking about people who just mess up along the way, people who make mistakes, people who backslide, people who drift a little bit. Because he defines them. He gives them a title. He lumps them all up in a group and he says, sinner. Now, in the Bible, a sinner pretty much always means lost, depraved, unregenerated, unredeemed. Almost always. John MacArthur makes a big deal out of this. He suggests that the Greek word is universally assigned to lost and unregenerate individuals. They're not backslidden ever when the word sinner is used. It describes the nature of the person who lives in sin. 
And there's tons of biblical examples. Let me just give you a few about where the word sinner helps us know that James probably is talking about people who are lost. Maybe they act like they're saved, but they're not authentic. Maybe they are running from the truth. They just, they just reject the truth of the gospel into their life. And, and so they're lost. Genesis 13, 13 is a good example. It is the men of Sodom and Gomorrah, the homosexual men. They were called sinners. So now you begin to identify who James is lumping these people who drift further and further from the truth, who he's putting them in a camp with. We come to the New Testament. We find out that the work of Jesus was not for the backslidden people. It's not for the good people. His work was for sinners. Listen to what it says in Matthew 19. Jesus said, verse 13, I desire compassion and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but to save sinners. <laughs> Jesus said, the only reason I left my fancy place in heaven to come to this broken world was not for good people, but for lost people. For the hurting, the sick, the dying, the consumed, the cursed, the fallen. He said, that's why I came. And then he says in Luke 15, 7, I tell you the sa- in the same way, there will be joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. The angels in heaven don't throw a party every time I ask forgiveness for a sin. The angels in heaven rejoice and celebrate and throw a party when one lost sinner comes to Jesus. A party breaks out in heaven. And that's just beautiful. But it's talking about sinners, people who are lost. Romans 5, 8 says, God commended his love toward us in that while we, you, me, brothers and sisters, while we were yet sinners, God died for us. God, uh, God uh, Christ died for us not because we're backslidden. Christ died for us because we were sinners. It's our nature. We were cursed. We were under the curse of Adam. And so he wants to make that clear. Now, what happens when a someone cares about an anyone enough to do something about the condition? Here's what happens. He says, he says, when he says, he should know that when one turns a sinner back from his wandering path, he will save that person's soul from death. Here's, here's pretty much why we know he's not talking about backslidden people. Backslidden people who are brothers and sisters in Christ who are saved, when they backslide, when they mess up in sin, guess what? They are still saved. I got saved, I've shared this, when I was nine years and ten months old, okay? And I've got a baptism certificate to prove it, all right? And I remember it. I, I'm, while I was gone, I went over the hump. Man, I'm 60. Do I look older? I feel a lot older. No, I don't. I feel great, okay? I turned 60, so, so for 50 years and two months, I've been a Christian. Now, listen to me. Up until I was nine years and ten months old, I was a sinner because I was born a sinner, I was because of my parents, Adam and Eve. We're all born sinners. We're under that curse. But when I was nine years and ten months old, I had committed sins. I told, I'd lied. I'm sure took some things that weren't mine. Probably cheated on a test at school. Not probably. I know I did um, because I wouldn't have got out if it wasn't for friends who were smart um, who would scoot over in their seat. Um, so I, I know I committed sins, but but I got news for you. Most of my sinning happened after I got saved. Because I've been saved for 50 years. And I've messed up a lot. Don't you be looking at me through them judgmental eyes. You have too. We're in the same camp. All right? And, and so, so he, says, he says, we'll save the person's soul from death. In all of those sins since I was saved, never once was my salvation threatened. Never once was my salvation exposed to be denied, to be canceled. You didn't make your payment, you're canceled. My payment was made on the cross 2,000 years ago. And I want you to know today, your pastor, me, I could leave here today, get in a road rage scuffle because of my lack of patience or whatever reason and end up in an altercation, guy jumps out of his car, I stomp on it, mow him over and kill him. I could do that. I'm not planning on it. But don't test me. 
I, I could, um, I, so I could murder somebody. And then because I would be so grieved, I would be in a state of maybe depression or whatever. And so tonight, I just need to get some relief. So I'm going to go downtown, pick up a prostitute. I'm, I, I could do that, okay? <laughs> I'm not planning on that either, just so you know. Okay, but I could. And then I get put in jail, and tomorrow I go to jail, and something freak happens, get choked on a chicken bone, I die. You know where I'm going when I die? To heaven. Because my salvation is not determined by how good I am or how bad I am. That's good news. My salvation is determined by how perfect Jesus was when he hung on that cross. And no matter what, now listen, when I got saved, he filled me and sealed me with his spirit. I don't want to murder anybody. I don't want to get a prostitute. I don't want to live in sin. But sometimes we make mistakes and we sin. My salvation is fixed in Jesus. Now listen to me. If you're here today and your salvation is hanging in the balance of whether you are good enough or whether you can, at the end of your life, do more good than you did bad, listen to me. You will die separated from God and spend eternity in torment in a place called hell. You cannot save yourself because you are good enough. You can only be saved because Jesus was good enough. Amen. That's really good news for those of us that are saved. And it's really a light and hopeful news for those that are not. And so, and so he says, you will save that person's soul from death. Now, here's the thing. He's talking about eternal death. He's talking about second death. And he says, you're going to save their soul from death. Uh, if you're talking about, about a backslidden person, you can't save their soul from death. If they're backslidden, they're saved, their soul is already saved from death. But if you're reaching out to, on a rescue mission to somebody who's lost, you can save their soul from death by leading them to truth, who is Jesus. When a, when a faithful someone rescues a drifting anyone, it has eternal ramifications. That's the cool thing about the journey we're on. That's the cool thing about the mission we've been challenged with. It is an eternal mission. Victories that we have in this life are awesome. Uh, getting a new job, getting a promotion, making money, having children, uh, buying a home. There's things, man, there's celebrations, and they're worth celebrating. They're good stuff. But there's nothing on this planet, in your life, in my life, that compares to rescuing somebody eternally from the grips of the curse of Satan. Ezekiel 18.4 says this about dying. He says, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. He's not talking about physical death. We all going to die. And some of us are closer than others. We're all going to die. And we don't know how close we are in any given moment. We never know. But we're all going to die physically short of the rapture. Takes us home as believers. But we're all going to die physically. He's talking about an eternal death. A separation from God in judgment forever. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is is death now jesus taught while he was on the earth that's what the gospels reveal and james his half brother heard him teach james the reason james is so motivated so uh, serious about us knowing that we're authentic so serious about us understanding that if we are authentic we need to be worried about other people who are not that we need to be on a commission and on a, a mission to rescue people from the grips of the devil because he heard Jesus talk and he knew Jesus talked a lot about hell. Jesus talked a lot about judgment. You know that Jesus talked more about hell and damnation than he did the rewards of heaven. In fact, if you read Matthew, which has a lot about what Jesus talked about, you will find out that Jesus talked about hell in, in, in chapter 5 and 7 and 8 and 10 and 13, 18, and 22 and 23 and 25, Jesus had much to say about the consequences of a life left outside the grace gift of Jesus on a cross. And so James wants us to understand that at the end of the day, people can turn away from God to judgment or they can turn away from 
judgment to God. Every individual who walks on the planet gets that responsibility for self to turn away from judgment and just turn to God. Or say, no, I'm turning away from God and receive the judgment that we deserve. Now he says, not only will they save their soul, but they will cover a multitude of sins. A multitude of sins. What does that even mean? It means whether somebody's saved or not saved, we all commit sins. When we get saved, we're not perfect. We pursue perfection. The Bible says multiple times, be holy or be perfect as he is holy or he is perfect. That's our goal. And it's an expectation that he has for us. But we're not perfect this side of heaven. And so every day there's sin. David would pray, King David would pray, God forgive me of the unknown sins. There's things that you and I do in life maybe that we commit or maybe that's things we shouldn't do and we do or maybe we omit things we should have done and didn't do. And we don't even know about it. So so we all commit sin. And so when we're under the blood of Jesus' sacrifice on a cross, every single one of them are forgiven. My sins as a born-again believer are forgiven. All of my past sins, my sins for today, and my sins until Jesus returns or until I go home to be with him. They're all forgiven. It's a multitude. (laughs) You preachers got some multitude, okay? It's multiplied. Do you notice that? It's not addition. These are multiplied sins. There's a lot of sins. Ephesians 1, 7 says this. We have been forgiven all of our sins, all of them. In the Psalms, he says, he removes our sins as far as the east is from the west. Our sins are buried in the depths of the sea, and he remembers them no more. So how do we know if we're authentic or not? How do we know if we're the real deal? How do we know if our life ends today that I am really a child of God, that I'm adopted into his family? I'm truly born again. I have had a spiritual birth. We've all had the first birth. I'm not joke about it. A lot of our families having babies. And, and, and the women never say anything about it. They're just, oh, they got one right here. Oh, we just see a little baby. And the guys are like, were you in there for the delivery? Oh, the women think it's terrible. You ought to have to watch that. You know, it's brutal. It's gr- oh, it is. It is. So we've all had that. We've all gone through a physical birth. But we must have a spiritual birth. That's what Jesus said. We must be born again, born from the inside out, born spiritually. How do we know if we are that person or not? Because there's some really good artificial uh, people in this world. Oh, man, they're everywhere. You can't judge a book by its cover. In 1983, there was a race in Australia. It's an ultra marathon. It starts in Sydney, Australia, and goes to Melbourne, Australia. It's 543 miles running. And so most of the people who enter this race are sub 30 years old. They're in their 20s because they got young legs. Well, on this particular day, and it's a big deal. It's a big deal. So on this particular day in 1983, all of the contestants are showing up and, you know, they've got the to, to do their final registration and they've got you know the most expensive shoes and little skimpy outfits and they got the right hat and the right watch to keep time and they're drinking the right fluids and all that and they're all signing up and along comes a very unique individual he's 61 years old he's wearing rubber boots and overalls with holes in them which he would say for ventilation and he wanted to sign up for the race And so all the media turns their attention to this old geezer over here who's wanting to run 543 miles. And they begin to question him about his motivation. And he said, my whole life I've been a sheep farmer and a potato farmer. And we've had 2,000 sheep that roamed over 2,000 acres. We've never owned a tractor or a vehicle to, to chase our sheep with. So I've always ran them down by foot. And I've never let one of them get away. And I'd like to run this race. Well, they all laughed. His name was Cliff Young. They all laughed at Cliff Young as the race began. And the gun fired, and everybody took off. And all of the young stallions took off at a breakneck pace. And old Cliff Young just shuffled behind them, way behind them. But a few days went by, and Cliff Young finished the race. 
The 61-year-old sheep farmer had finished this ultramarathon. But he didn't just finish, he won. Now, how could he win? Because all of the young stallions had a protocol. It was unwritten, unspecified. They just had a protocol. And the protocol was generally understood. We're going to run for 18 hours. We're going to sleep for six hours. We're going to get up tomorrow and run 18 hours again, sleep six hours until the race is done. Cliff didn't get the memo. So Cliff just ran and ran and ran. He ran 543 miles in a pair of overalls and rubber boots and broke the record for the ultramarathon by two and a half days. Place number two, runner number two showed up 10 hours, 9 hours and 56 minutes after Cliff Young crossed the finish line. When he got across the finish line, everybody wanted to celebrate and they all ran around. Oh, now everybody wants to be his friend. And they awarded him a check for $10,000, to which Cliff Young said, I didn't know there was a prize check. He said, I don't really need it. Take that $10,000, divide it by five, and give it to the next five people on the list. He didn't even take any prize money. Now, you say, what does that have to do with authenticity? You can't judge a book by its cover. We can fake stuff really well. Those young stallions, they looked the part. They dressed the part they smelled the part they acted the part cliff young played the part you know what i'm saying and you and i as brothers and christ uh, as brothers and sisters in christ need to start doing more than just looking smelling and talking the part we need to act the part you see the whole book of james is given as a series of quizzes to help us ask ourselves, determine our authenticity, but also to challenge us in areas that will demonstrate our authenticity. And and so let's just uh, recap a little bit. On the back of your life guide, should have received one when you came in, there's a list at the bottom. These are the quizzes that James has authored to you, inspired by the Holy Spirit, to me to help us test our authenticity. So we're going to go through these real briefly. I'm going to share what they mean. And if, it, if, you're, if you're passing the test, just put your little check mark by that one. If the authenticity is lacking, maybe just draw a little line or a circle around it. As a reminder, this one needs some attention. Number one on your list found in James 1-2 is joy. The question is, are you able to find joy in your trials, your tests, and your troubles? If you are, check you are authentic. The second one is victory. Are you winning the battles over temptation in your life? If you are, check. You are authentic. The third one is anger. Are you navigating the challenges of life without anger? If you are, check it. You're authentic. The next one is, is actions. Are you a doer of the word and not just a hearer of the word. If you are, check. If you're struggling, underline it. The next one is the word tongue. In James 1.26, is your tongue under control or in control? Is your tongue under control or in control? If it is under control, you're authentic. Check it. The next one is compassion, Verse chapter 127. Do you show compassion for the less fortunate do you show compassion for the less fortunate the next one found in chapter 2 is chapter 2 verse 1 prejudice are you prejudiced to certain groups of people if you're prejudiced don't check that box if you're not prejudiced check that box you are an authentic follower of Jesus the next one is favoritism Do you show favoritism toward individuals or people groups? If you do, circle it. You're not an authentic Christian. Uh, Love. Do you love others as much as you love the person you look at when you brush your teeth in the morning? Do you love everybody as much as yourself? If you do, check. You're a follower of Jesus. You're authentic. Chapter 2, verse 26. Proof. 
if no one really knew you and the details of you, would they have enough evidence in your actions to prove that you're a follower of Jesus? If they would, check the box. You are authentic. Chapter 3, verse 10, words. Does your tongue do more blessing or cursing? Is your mouth full of more discouragement than encouragement? If you do more cursing than blessing, don't check the box. Fruit, chapter 3, verse 12, is the fruit of your life consistent? James said, different fruit don't come from the same tree. He said, is the fruit consistent in your life? Are you the same on Sunday as you are on Friday night? Are you the same on Saturday as you are on Sunday night? Is the fruit consistent? Chapter 3, verse 17, wisdom. Do you operate in a heaven-down wisdom or do you operate in a hell-up wisdom? Do you operate according to the wisdom of the Word of God or do you operate in the wisdom of the world? The next one is peacemaker. Are you a peacemaker or a warmonger? In the circles that you encounter during the week, when you exit the situation, is there more peace or less peace? Next is chapter 4, verse 4, friendship. Are you more concerned about being a friend of the world than you are about being a friend of God? Because James said you cannot be a friend of both. The next one is humility. Are you humbly submitting to God daily? Chapter 4, verse 12, judgment. Do you have a judgmental spirit toward others? Chapter 4, verse 15, will are you trying to do the will of God in your life or are you trying to manipulate God to agree with your will for your life chapter 5 verse 5 resources do you put more trust in your finances than you do the one who gives them to you do you worry about your finances too much and let me just tell you I don't know if you have a 401k but if you're going to worry it's a good time to worry all right but if you worry about it, if it changes your demeanor you need to question that patience is your patience growing or is your patience growing thin chapter 5 verse 9 does the return of jesus impact your daily living chapter 5 verse 13 do you have a real prayer life with god is it intimate is it persistent is it up close and personal with God? <clears throat> Chapter 5, verse th 13 also, praise. Do you praise God for the good things in your life? I'm looking around in this room. We ought to have a house full of praising going on every week when we sing. When Caleb and our worship team sings a praise song, this ought to be the loudest room you've been in all week. Why? I'm looking around. You all are a blessed, stinking bunch of people. Y'all are blessed. Amen. And if you don't know it, come see me. I'll remind you of how I know you're blessed. You say, well, you don't know my life. I don't need to. You're alive. That's a blessing. You're here. That's a blessing. We need to be praising God. Do you praise God? If you don't, your faith may not be authentic. And then he closes. He never lets up. Chapter 5, verse 19. Are you actively trying to turn others to God? And that's it. So how would you do How'd you do on the test? Don't you hate a pop quiz? Okay. You just had one. You've been having one for weeks. You should know if you've been here every week, you hadn't, or you would have done better on the quiz. Okay. Don't you hate a pop quiz? You know, nobody told you it was coming, did they? You know, it's always good to have a friend close by, you know, like one of you girls would have been good near me because I know y'all do good in school. I know you do. I can see it on your face. It looks brighter than the one sitting beside you, even Clark. Clark would have done well sitting by you. And so here's a test you can't cheat on. Here's a test we can't cheat on. Our answers are our answers. And we can manipulate the answers and say, oh, oh I career that one every day. Meanwhile, the Holy Spirit's saying, you should have asked me first. Okay? We can't cheat on this test. And why does this test matter? You ready? Because tucked away in this amazing little epistle, 
this letter of James, the half-brother of Jesus, tucked away in this thing in James 5 is one of the coolest little verses that you just read past it if you're not careful. We talked about it, but I want to remind you of it. He said three different times in three different ways that Jesus is coming back. That's why it matters, because when he comes back, authenticity will be revealed. And there will either be people rejoicing in heaven or regretting on this earth when he returns. James told us in James chapter 5, the Lord is going to return. He said, my half-brother, the Savior of the world, the King of the universe, the whisperer of the stars, he's coming back. And then he doubles down. And he says, that same Lord, his return is near. He said this 2,000 years ago, it was near. You better believe it's near today in 2022. And then he said then the judge who is Jesus stands at the gate. He stands at the door. He's just like a, like a stallion racing horse standing at the gate waiting for the father to say, hey, Jesus, go get your bride. The gate opens and he's here. That's why this quiz matters. That's why it matters to every individual whether or not we are authentic or not. Now, several weeks ago, I honestly thought it was today. I thought Jesus was coming back on that day. I was minding my own business, which is the Bible describes that's when Jesus comes back. People to be doing their regular normal stuff, and Jesus is going to give a little surprise attack, okay? And so I was minding my own business, and, and we were at home, and I was sitting in my living room, and outside, man, just looked weird. So weird that I got up and I went outside, and I was like, wow. I said, Kendra, come here. Now, this is what I saw when I went outside. And I can't capture it with a phone, but that was in my backyard. Did you ever feel like that, you, the rainbow's in your yard? Okay, nobody else sees it but you. Now, I got another picture. It's a double rainbow. You can barely see the other helix. That's across the front of my house. And I'm, I'm walking around the house. I'm calling my neighbors. I called Becca Morris. We were getting ready to baptize their kids. I said, hey, bring the girls out. Jesus put a rainbow because you girls are getting baptized this Sunday. He's excited. Look at this rainbow. I mean, I'm calling people. I called Justin. Justin was out of town. Oh, you're in Florida. You missed the rainbow. Sorry for you. I'm calling people because I thought Jesus was coming back. I was thinking that. It'd be a cool day for Jesus to come back. I'm standing in the front yard in the road with the neighbors across the street. I called them. I said, hey, come out. I said, rainbow. Okay. Because it was so pure. And there was two of them. And I didn't get a picture, but right in the middle of standing in my front yard like this, looking at the rainbow, a lightning bolt busted through that rainbow. And it's like inside of the arch looked like a cracked egg of lightning. It just exploded with one big thing of cracked lightning. And I'm like, oh no, this, this is it. I'm going, I'm out. I'm going to pray. I'm going to save him a little effort. I'm ready. I'm, I'm out of here. I'm, I'm ready for heaven, man. I'm ready. I, I'm, I'll, I'll take the next bus. I'm in. Okay? I thought it was that day. And so right in the middle of that, I saw all that lightning. And it was like the Holy Spirit said, in the rainbow, I am grace across the rainbowed sky from its origin which you do not see to the place of termination on the other end, my grace is sufficient. And in that lightning bolt, he said, I am truth and I am just and judgment is coming and you have a job to do. And I'm, and, and I'm hoping, I hope my job's over. I'm ready, okay? I didn't go, okay? And, and trust me, I know this much. If Jesus returns, I'm going. I don't have to worry about that, okay? And I hope you know that too for yourself. And, and, and so... James is saying, this is why authenticity matters. You need to know that you are a child of God. You need to know that you have willfully, willingly surrendered your sorry, sinful self to the grace gift of God found in Jesus, his son. In humility, you step before him and say, God, I am a joke I am a sinful person. I cannot fix myself. I fall before you in humility and in repentance. And I want you to do for me what I cannot do for myself. 
I want you to save me. If you've never come to that place, you should be concerned. James says you could be, should be concerned. Now listen, many of us are secure in our salvation. I know you are. I know your faith is authentic. I know you know that. But you have a job to do. And that is to reach out to those around you who are not authentic, who need the gospel truth that you have received. So what does that look like? It looks like this. Anita Alvarez. As a four-time Olympic medalist, artistic swimmer Anita Alvarez isn't just good at holding her breath, she can do it whilst performing a mix of swimming, dance, and gymnastics underwater. Really good on the leg extension. But at the end of her solo performance at the World Championships in Budapest... Well, a very determined swim there. Audience applause turned to anguish as something went wrong. Anita fainted and sank to the bottom of the pool. First to react was coach Andrea Fuentes. A former Olympian herself, she dived in, lifting the unconscious swimmer to the surface. I put her on her side and opened her mouth, Andrea says, so she could expel the water. I massaged her jaw to make her relax and cooled out Anita. Breathe, breathe. We hope she's going to be okay. Andrea says she jumped in as no lifeguards had reacted. And it's not the first time she's dived to Anita's rescue. Something similar happened at Olympic qualification last year. Water safety experts say Anita may have experienced shallow water blackouts triggered by hyperventilation. It only takes a very small volume of water, one or two breaths, to cross the lethal dose for drowning. So the action of the coach was life-saving. A stretcher has been brought here to the side of the pool. Team USA say Anita pushed through her limits but is OK and wants to compete again tomorrow. Martin Stew, ITV News. That's who we're supposed to look like. We're supposed to be that coach who observes the life of people around us. And they see them wandering from the truth. And we see them landing in a place that will not be beneficial to them. That could lead to their death. That could, If they're lost, we realize that we hold the key to their salvation. We don't wait for some other lifeguard to not do their job. We don't stare and stammer and talk about what might be going on. We do what that coach did. We dive in. We swim to the bottom. We grab that person and we bring them to life. That's what you're called to do, authentic Christians. And when we show up there, we're, we're not there to reprimand. We're there to rescue them. We're, we're not there to tear them down. We're there to turn them around. And James says, listen, I've written this letter to you, brothers and sisters, because Jesus is coming back and everybody needs to be right with him to be ready for that great and glorious and for some, that dreadful day. And so it is on today, as we finish this book, as James writes us this, I, I want to ask you something. You took the quiz and if before the Holy Spirit of God, I really pray and hope that you passed the quiz. I hope that every person in here is an authentic follower of Jesus. That if Jesus does return today or Jesus allows us to take us, allows us to leave this earth into eternity today, I hope we know where we're going. I hope you know. But if you don't know, I want to challenge you and encourage you to give your life to Jesus today on this day scripture says this is your day of salvation you don't have to worry about it anymore when the preacher preaches as I do and I want people to be saved I, I, I do not apologize for that I don't want to leave this earth knowing that I stood before men and women and didn't share the gospel and so on this day you could be saved you could be saved in fact we're going to sing a song in just a minute and I don't do this a lot, but I want to encourage you. If you want to be saved today, walk down. We're going to go old school. Walk down here in the front of your family and your friends and your peers and God and the devil who's watching and say, you know what? This is my day. I'm standing. I'm walking to the front. There's nothing holy or spiritual about this real estate up here. It's a statement that I am giving 
my broken self to Jesus today. I'm receiving his gift. I'm becoming authentic on this very day. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And In 2 Timothy 3.5, it describes people who are not authentic. It says they have a form of godliness, but they deny the power therein. They're simply not authentic. Jesus addressed this in Matthew 7. Jesus said, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, and I will say to them, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. I don't want that to be the case for anybody that I get to pastor. I want everybody to know him. So it's on a day like this where we come to a place where we, we have to say either, wow, God, thank you for saving me. I see now that my life is changed because Jesus came into it. Or we say, whoa, God, my life needs changing. And I believe today Jesus is the only one that can make that happen. Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for this amazing little book of James. I thank you for every person that's gathered here today or who may watch online. And I pray, God, today that we will leave knowing the authenticity of our faith, that it's real on the outside, so real that it just radiates on the outside. So real on the inside, it radiates on the outside. So, Father, help us be that person today. And if there's someone or those that are lost today that don't know you, God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would sweetly, tenderly, but firmly invite them into your forever family, that this would be their day. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope that God spoke to you through this message. If you enjoyed the message, be sure to subscribe to our weekly podcast and visit our website at sturkey.church to find all the latest information and upcoming events. Be sure to join us again next week. Until then, may God bless you.